How are you coping? How's it going? Well, it's a bit vacuous, isn't it? <laughs> Do you know the date? Or oh, no. I only know the date because we're doing this today, but I don't know the date all the time. Yes. In the middle of the night, I suddenly woke up and I thought of two lines. I wasted time and now doth time waste me. Oh, yeah. You have a played Richard II, David. I have, yes, you, I have. You, yes, of course you have. Yes. Um, but, you know... Yes, true, I know. It, it, it I can't afford bit. to waste this time. I just think, oh God, eighty-five. I can't waste any more days. I know it's all a bit weird, and we're, we've got homeschooling going on here, which is it's how to really fall out with your own children. How old are they? Oh, we've got a range. We've got an eighteen-year-old, so he's done. He's not in school. But then we've got nine, seven. Uh, uh, I have to keep thinking. Four and seven months. <gasps> Excuse me. Yeah, we've got. All, they're all You've going. Been very on. busy. I know. <laughs> I don't. I wish someone would explain to me how we stop. <laughs> David Tennant does a podcast with Judy Dench. I thank you so much for doing this. It's a real joy to me that you're here, and for me. When I tell people that I was talking to you today, everyone, without fail, goes a little sort of glassy-eyed. Uh, and they and immediately say something like, oh, but I love her. And that's from people that, who know you very well, who've worked with you, other people who've never met you, who just admire you. I mean, universally, you receive adoration. Um, and I don't, <laughs> I don't possibly even, even, only Queen Elizabeth herself demands more loyalty from the people of Britain. And she's probably a more controversial figure. So I think you are... Stephen Fry said that you should have railings built around you so that people could come, <laughs> could come and admire you. And it's all... No, he's the one with the railings. He's got a great big plinth, isn't he? Plinth and railings, he's got. Whilst this is undoubtedly lovely and right and proper that you're regarded as such, does it not feel like a terrible pressure to be so adored? Well, no, because people don't... People... No... And there are plenty of people who don't, David. You I don't believe you. I can't find a single one. Really spiteful. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you, you just get on with life, don't you? And uh, and hope that the job you've chosen to do, you do as well as you can. That's all you worry about. Do you? So you be can... kind to people. That's what's so wonderful about this lockdown. That's mm. what's really incredible. Is is people's amazing kindness. The general public are very, very kind, and to each other. And to and do, is, that's very much the overwhelming sense you get. Kindness of people are, I, yes. I imagine, delighted to see you when they bump into you in the supermarket or whatever. Not not that that's happening at the moment, but you <laughs> well, know sometimes. <laughs> but do you not feel a pressure sometimes. to? What I mean, I suppose what I mean is, do you not feel? Do you not feel a pressure to be a national treasure? They're not somebody no, you no, go, no, oh. I loathe, loathe that word. Oh, I'm sure. Words. But I it's often attributed to it's you, isn't it? It's something very, very dusty, isn't it? Behind a glass, mm. in mm. a corner. Mm. It's a relic. I don't want to be a relic. <laughs> Do you think that gets in the that. way of acting? No, notions like that? Well, yes. I mean, that's why it's such fun to, you know, to play parts that... I hate to play parts that are expected, you know, if a part comes through the thing and it's some old person dying in a chair somewhere, right. I think, oh, no, no, please yeah. not that, please yeah. not that. I want to play, you know, somebody who you think is a benign old lady sitting in a chair and actually she's bumping people off about right. every Friday or something. <laughs> Oh, really? Looking for, looking for a lot of villains to play. You haven't played a lot of villains, have you? No, not enough, not enough. No. No. But a couple of crackers. W um, uh, Notes on a Scandal. Notes on a Scandal. Was my was most favourite villain to play. Right. And having yes. a good old fight with Kate Blanchett. Right. You, you were, I mean, for most of your career, I, I suppose, statistically, you were a theatre star. And then, actor. actor, sorry, of course, quite right. And um, it's sort of relatively late in life, you, or reasonably late into your career, you were already established when you became a, a star on television and in, in the cinema. Did that? Oh, yes. Yes. Does that give you a different 
so, suddenly you ha- you become public property in a slightly different way. Is that something that you? Well, it's just a different. Uh, I never wanted to make a film at all ever. Right. Uh, and was told, which I've told the story so many times. Told I wouldn't because I had the wrong kind of face to make films, and so I was told that I wouldn't. You know, they said very nice to meet you, but not right for the part. And I don't think you're ever going to make films because not quite. A re- re- that was when you were very brand new. You got you that were told was that. when I was at the Vic. Right. And um, I only ever wanted to do Shakespeare and be right. in the theatre. Right. All. Except that I trained as a, a theatre designer before that. Right. That's what I originally wanted to be. Yes. But the theatres, you know, I think there's no substitute for it. And also, you know, when you've done a film, that's it. Can't yeah. change it. Yes. Then you go to see it, and you're irritated intensely about the fact of the buttons that you chose to push to do that part. And you right. think, oh, what a chance missed. <laughs> right. I hate it. I really hate having to see myself in. But in the theatre, you know, you can go on. Until you get it right. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Lucky. I mean, you were you you got off to a fairly cracking start, didn't you? Straight out of Central, I got you off were to a great cracking casting start. I yes. certainly did. Yes. How I did that come it. about? How did you end up going straight from drama school to to the old Vic? We did our uh, final show at Wyndham's Central. We were at Central the last three years at the Albert Hall. Hmm. We were. We did a final show at Wyndham's. And at that show were about, I think, half a dozen people, probably. Somebody from film, somebody from the Vic, uh, and several other people. And then a, a couple of days later, I had a call saying, would I go and see Michael Ventor at the old Vic? Right. And so I went and it was to audition for Ophelia. Right. And, and this was all your dreams coming true. I mean, this is what you were it was, hoping and for. And he said, you're not allowed to tell anybody at oh. all. Yes. Because that was in kind of the spring and I wasn't going till the autumn and I was going back to do the mystery plays in York, my hometown. Right. And I, I only was allowed to tell my parents. Couldn't tell anybody else. What did they say? Well, they were absolutely thrilled. Because they were theatre fans, oh, right? Oh, yes. We were taken to the theatre all the time. Right. All the time. I want to ask you all these questions. Well, I, that's, you know... <laughs> I want to be asking you them. You have to do your own podcast to do that. <laughs> you have to do it. So tell me about that first. That so you, suddenly, you're, I mean, what age are you at this point? Twenty-two. Twenty-two, and you're at the Old Vic. John Neville's playing Hamlet. Yes. Suddenly, you're Ophelia. What was that first night? Do you remember? Do you have? Does it? Is it vividly? We opened. Um, uh, Michael thought it would be a good idea if we opened a week out of London. Right. Uh, so we opened at the Royal Court in Liverpool. Right. And I went up there with my great friends, Barbara Lee Hunt and Juliet Cook and Adrienne Hill uh-huh. at the Lord Nelson Hotel in Liverpool. When we got there, they said, you can't go in because there are three men in one bed in that in that room. <laughs> we weren't allowed in. They said, <laughs> Quite right, too. It's a wonderful thing. It's funny, isn't it? That's the thing you think about. Anyway, we opened in Liverpool and it, and it went very well. And then we came to the, the Vic and then I got not good notices at all. And they said, how dare the so-called... We didn't have a national theatre then. The so-called national theatre get somebody who's just out of drama school. But that must, have been, that must have been devastating, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was devastating. And I, and you, my hair. I had very, very long hair. Went and cut it all off. Um, but Michael Bentor just stood by me all the time. And for that whole season, I played oh, the first fairy in The Dream and uh, uh, understudied in Lear and understudied in The Henry Sixes and played the spirit conjured up by Eleanor, and played Mariah in Twelfth Night. And he just he just kept me there. Mm. And his, his belief in me was why I stayed. 
How how resilient were you as a twenty two year old? I mean, did, did you? Not at we, all. No. So when you read those reviews, no. did you cry? Did you? I went to pieces. Right. I went completely to pieces. But with Johnny Neville and Michael and that company, uh, and and my friend Barley Hunt, and uh, you know, they didn't let me go to pieces. And do you think, was there any truth in it? Or was it just, were you just being punished oh, I'm for sure being there young? Was tr- oh, yes. Oh, I'm sure there was truth in it. Oh, I could do it better now. Right. But grotesque it would be. <laughs> Marvellous. <laughs> but I could do it better now. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. I've had the pleasure of seeing you many times in a whole variety of things, and you always seem very at ease. It feels like when you're on stage, you 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 feel like you've arrived, like you're at home. I I wonder how much of that is you faking it, and I wonder, uh, or, or whether that is just whether you do feel like when you're on stage, you're you're home. I do feel that. Right. If anything about work, that's the place I'm most comfortable. Right. Absolutely no question about it. Um, that whole kind of ambiance of getting ready and, you know, as I say, the kind of jokes and things and preparing yourself for it or not preparing yourself for it mm-hmm. and either having somebody there that you're doing it for or or then just um, inventing somebody that you're doing it for. Um, but I do love it. Just the process of it going through, yes. you know. How nervous do you get? I get nervous. Right. I get very nervous. I wouldn't like to be without the nerves because they're, you know, they're, they're fuel mm. for... They're wonderful fuel to have fear. As long as it doesn't overbalance, I suppose. As, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever come close to a proper stage fright? I'm sure I have. I've dried in the middle of songs. That's tricky. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, because the music keeps coming. <laughs> the music keeps going all the time. <laughs> Nobody's taking a blind bit of notice of you, not the band. <laughs> That's tricky. Yes. I remember when, when Johnny Neville came to see Cabaret and I wanted it to go so well at night. And I dried in the middle of a, so- a song. Right. And... and sang a lot of rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> do you have strategies for, for calming yourself? Or do no. you lean into that? No, I don't have any strategies at all like that. Mm. I have no plans ever. Right, right. I just like to put it out to chance. Right. When you're rehearsing something, do you are you aware of what sort of when the light comes in? Or do you do you feel yourself sort of things beginning to fit or is it is it purely instinctive and gradual or I mean would you have a process that you no process right no process uh no I judge it by the jokes David (laughs) (laughs) I have huge wonderful laughs and things oh god I never wanted to stop I never wanted to stop but if it's very tense and you know and uneasy and I don't know. I do I do I do judge it by the jokes. You do. So you enjoy rehearsals as long as everyone's you, laughing. Oh yeah, as long as uh, as long as there's a sense of 
you know, if there's an ease, therefore people work together better. Mm. It's about everyone feeling as if as if they just can do what they like. It's mm. a rehearsal time, for God's sake. Mm. You can make mistakes and, and you can try anything. But if you, if you feel um, inhibited or nervous about somebody else's, about the presence of somebody else or something, then you can't get a, you know, you, you, you don't, you, you reserve something. Mm. And rehearsals is a time for not reserving anything, chucking it all in and then sorting out the bits that you think will do, yes. that you need to use. So are you often the principal joker in the pack? No, I'm just a jobbing joker. <laughs> right. <laughs> but very much willing to go along with whatever oh, yes. there is. <laughs> okay. don't like to... You see, now it's so terrible because I can't see very well now and I miss... I, I, uh, in the Winter's Tale with Ken Brown, I, I used to miss a lot of jokes. I know I used to miss them. It right. used to make me furious. And after we'd been doing doing it for about three weeks, he, Ken said to me, "Julie, in that in the last scene, when you have that speech to me, if you were to say it about eight feet to your right, you'd be talking to me and not the boss." <laughs> <laughs> God, it's wonderful. <laughs> Do you uh, are you sometimes, and I don't mean to be indelicate, but are you sometimes guilty <laughs> of giggling during a performance when that's not entirely what the script requires? David, Is that you, indelicate? Who are you saying, saying Mister? I'm just. What are you well, saying, Mister? Well, I've, I've heard it might happen. I've been reported. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fever. We were. We got into a terrible trouble, yes. we thought. Only because Peter Bowles called the woman the wrong... There were only four of us round a breakfast table and he suddenly called this woman Jane Seymour. <laughs> suddenly called her Jane Seymour. We went, we went to pieces. We went completely to pieces. And then yes. the audience found out and, and realised. Yes. And then he had to repeat it. <laughs> and the, there is a sort of delicious agony to that, though, isn't oh, there? Oh, exquisite agony. Exquisite agony. Exquisite is, yes. agony. It's what Sir Lawrence called it, I think, isn't it? Right, right. John Gilgood. Really? He was terrible. Right. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Oh, God, he used to make me laugh so much. Uh, he was terrible. Really? Behaved. During the cherry orchard, in the last act he we all he and patience collier and i all had to come on together and just before we came on he produced an enormous cucumber from under his coat and said to said to patience collier see if you can do with <laughs> have you oh, been God. told off by company managers and directors and for misbehaving told off yes <laughs> yes endlessly yeah. In everything I've done, it's, it's nerves. Right, like of course, doing. yes. But that is not to say that it's not exquisitely enjoyable. <laughs> is it true? I, I've heard you say that when you directed for the theatre, you suddenly were rather less forgiving yeah, of actors. I was actors. livid. I was absolutely livid. Of course. I was furious with Where are you? Right. And I used to go, want to go, when they went on tour, it was much ado with Ken Branagh, and they went on tour. Ken left the theatre before I gave the notes. He left the theatre in his costume. Because he thought you were going to give him a row. <laughs> Are you more satisfied by making an audience laugh or cry? We well, don't know when they're crying. You. I see. You don't know if they're crying. No. No, if they go very quiet. When we did Anthony and Cleopatra, I knew... I knew that there was a line that should get a laugh. Right. Uh, and we did a hundred performances, and on the hundreds, I got the laugh. Oh, that's infuriating. Isn't it? Yes. How absolutely infuriating is that? And did, were, were you aware of what you did differently? No. Oh, that's I even more think, infuriating. Well, not, you know, subconsciously perhaps, but mm. not. Mm. You've never done a one-person No, no, performance. I couldn't do that. 
Really? I, I wouldn't know who to get. Uh, where are the jokes when you're getting ready? Yes. When you're getting ready for something and made up, where are the jokes? <laughs> you know, when we did Macbeth, we were like children, all of us. We completely... But in a way, I kept thinking that's in a way like blowing the froth off the beer before yes. you actually get to the beer. Um, you know... People throwing pants in the air. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't believe. We were all grown people going to do a very serious play. Yes. The jokes are terribly important to you. Oh, the, the most important of all. Yes. The most. Do you regard successes on how much fun you've had then, rather than any sort of critical... Uh... Well, perhaps that's a lot of it, yes. Yes. Perhaps that's a lot to do with it. Mm. Um, because, I, well... I don't want to do it if you don't have uh, a, a good time doing it. And I, and by that, I don't mean singularly a good time. I mean a, a good time altogether. Yes. I mean, the, the thing of a, a, a good company together working is thrilling. That that camaraderie, that being in a company is the thing that's always, you've always cherished. Yeah. I love it. Um, you recently became British Vogue's oldest ever cover star. Which was certainly oldest. Well, was <laughs> I had that... to do a I had to do a interview, a radio interview, and I, I don't know where it was. Somebody very far away. <laughs> anyway, a man, and um, he rang up. He said, "Well, what does it feel like to be the first Vogue covers eighty five? I said, "You don't have to remind me of this. Please don't remind me." <laughs> had they just never asked before? No, no, no. Oh, Why would they? David. Oh, come on. Not at all. Come on. Do you enjoy all that? Do you enjoy getting spruced up and photographed? Uh, no, and... I, no, I don't much enjoy that, but I did enjoy doing that one. Why was that? They were so nice. Right. They were so nice. The, the person doing my makeup and the person hair and the cameraman, they were all so nice. Very, very good fun. And I usually, um, you know, I'm usually not... Uh, I'm usually a bit squeamish about about having to get into grand clothes and get ready for something. And in fact, my hands have gone rather hot and sweaty right. thinking of it. Uh, but they were lovely. And we had, at one point, we had three wind machines. Well, <laughs> I was in my seventh no acting required there. Just blows everything up. Over. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I said, after, I never want to do a part that I don't have a wind machine with it. Oh, how are you with that promotional side of it? I mean, obviously, Vogue was a, a, a lovely experience, but increasingly that's expected, isn't it, with every job you do, that you must talk about it and... Yes, I don't like to do Be that. Be a version much. of yourself on chat shows. I don't shows like to and... do it very much. Right. I like to just, you know, let people pick the bones out themselves. Yeah. Um, you enjoyed one of the most unusual things amongst actors, uh, at least, which is a very happy marriage that lasted for 30 years. Oh, 30 years less three weeks. Oh. Mm -hmm. Michael Williams, your late husband, was a very successful, busy actor himself. And uh, it's not a profession that necessarily lends itself to a sort of contented family life, but you seemed to achieve it. Is that just down to luck? luck? Right. Yes. And the combination of individuals, presumably. It was, it, you didn't have to work at that, you just... We, I, don't, I don't think we ever had to work at it, David. Mm. But I mean, some sometimes Mikey used to have um, black dog days sometimes, right? But he was um, he was an incredibly unselfish man, and he wouldn't ever attribute that to anything that might have been between us. Do you can it? Have I explained right. that in any kind of yeah. way? Yeah. Um, and, oh, God, how he used to make me laugh. <laughs> oh, he used to make me absolutely howl. We did Mr and Mrs Nobody together. 
Right. He said, oh, Jude, we'll have a lovely time doing that. He said, it's a very, very funny piece. They'll laugh. It doesn't last long. And then we'll go home afterwards. Well, it was the most exhausting piece <laughs> you Because we played every part in it except Penny Ryder and Gary Fairhall were both in it playing playing the maid and the butler. They never had anything to say, but it was just lovely having them both there. But it was... Mike, at one point, I wore three costumes, one on top of the other. And it was a huge success at the Garrick. It was a huge success. And it was hugely good fun to do, but it was so exhausting. You worked together a lot, didn't you? On did. stage and on television, yeah. Yes. Comedy of Errors at Stratford. And London Assurance. Right. That was good fun. Do you remember the first time that you met? Yes. Was it? We was... met in that pub opposite Drury Lane. I think it's Sweet Nella Vol Drury, I think it's called. And did you, uh, did something? No. No? No, no immediate no, twinkle? Just... Yes, he said something which made me laugh a lot. Um, and then I didn't see him for ages. Um, and then um, we went, the RSC went to Australia, Japan and Australia. And in Australia, um, Charlie Thomas, who was playing Orsino, died. And we were all in a very, very bad way. And Mikey, who was in the other half of the company got a plane and came out to see us all. And uh, it was a saving grace, really. And then he said, will you marry me? I said, will you please ask me on a rainy day in Battersea? <laughs> so it felt more real. <laughs> yes, it felt very real. <laughs> yes, then it would feel real. Um, uh, so that's what happened. Mm. You yourself came from a very secure, happy home. Do you think that, did that inform how you regarded your own marriage and what you expected in a marriage, do you think? Do you think that? No, I think I was just very lucky to meet Mike. Right. But, I mean, there is no doubt I did come from a very, very secure and happy home. Mm. And that may have had something to do with it, but, gosh, he used to make me laugh. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. And Finty would say that now too. Right. We did laugh a lot. We laughed a lot. Did you, and how would you cope? Because acting often is very unsociable hours. One is often away a lot. How would you sort of juggle all that? Well, in the best way we could, really. I had to go to Bangkok uh, to film with Steve and Frears and David Hare. Uh, and um, and Fint... Uh, came out, which was absolutely lovely, was there. So we used to, you know, we used to try and be as much as we could all together. Right. I never remember being away for a long time. Yeah. And was that part of the reason you would you would try and work together? That was luck. Right. It was just luck, really. Because when we came back from Australia, because Mikey only came out for a week to see us. Mm-hmm. And so after the week... We were all going off to the theatre and his plane was later that night and we said our goodbyes. And when we came back, he was <laughs> still in the bar. Oh. Um, so he, he said, I thought, I thought I'd just stay a few more days. So after another week, um, we all said goodbye. We all <laughs> and came back, he was in the bar. <laughs> so, so he stayed for the whole of the rest of the tour. And we got off the plane and Trevor was there, I think, because I was going to play Grace Harkaway in London Insurance and, and looked at the two of us and thought, gosh, Michael would be very good in that other part. Ah. And and so we were in that together. And did you work well together? Obviously, it was nice to be around each other, but were you good Were you good for each other when you were working? I, I hoped, yes. I mean, we enjoyed it enormously. I, I hope we were good for each other. But we we had a lovely time. You know, it was never a tricky time. Right, right. That. Would you sort of monitor each other? Would you be Would you be honest about each other's work, or is that not what you would do? No, I think we were too tired. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, we might think that something had gone better. We might perhaps, but we never discussed never discussed the theatre at home. Okay. Never discussed today's rehearsal at home or anything. Um, Michael died in two thousand and one after 
a long illness. How long did it take you to work out how to be without him? I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps I've never done that quite. Mm. <clears throat> mm. Although I have met David, who <clears throat> who uh, runs the uh, the British Wildlife Centre. Right. Right. And so, um, and he's about four miles away, and that's just lovely because you know he laughs about the same things. We laugh about the same things, and but I don't. I suspect I shall never ever get over Mikey. Right. Do you think going through that sort of a grief changes who you are at work, or changes the work even? Changes you are altogether. Right. I think. Mm. Um. Yes, changes you are because it's like it's like you're walking along and suddenly you're not looking. There's an enormous chasm in front of you, mm. and all sorts of things take you. Unexpected kind of things happen, you know. Suddenly, you walk in somewhere and there's a there's a photograph or something, and you know. So, uh, oh, I don't expect you ever get used to it. Mm. Sometimes the door in this house just opens, and I think that he's just what wandered in. <laughs> 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 And, of course, your daughter Fenty is an actress. She is, indeed. Yeah. Do you think, was she, there an, an inevitability to that growing up in your household? Do well, you think? maybe, I think. Or or she could have been a dancer, I think, if she right. wanted to be. Yes, I suppose it was a bit dyed in, in the wool. Yeah. Um, that she that she wanted. You know, she was always... I remember, I remember when I was... Uh, in Hamlet at the National with Dan Day-Lewis, she was she came and she was in the dressing room that evening. She'd been to something, I think, and came back. And when I came up, she was wearing, wearing my dress from the closet scene. That was a very good moment. Oh, hello, I know what you're going to do. <laughs> and it was one of them. She did Pack of Lies not long ago. It was a piece that, that Mike and I did together. She, was, she and Chris Larkin, they were so um. wonderful. Really wonderful. So you didn't attempt to discourage her from that life. We we didn't. No, we didn't. I mean, you know, if you if you have that kind of feeling that you want to do it, are your any of your children going to? Or has one yes. of them already? The eighteen-year-old is already acting. Yeah, yeah. Is he? And yes, he is. Yeah. Which is lovely, you know. It's it's uh, because he seems to be quite good at it. So that's the relief. Of course, you know. he is. Yeah. But, um, and he so enjoys so it. Oh, he loves it. Yes. And does he, he talk it. to you about it? He does a bit. Yes. He's uh, he he sort of uh, we we sort of talk about the kind of less about the acting itself and more about the how to be and how to you know how to be on a set and how to. Yes. Uh, I just, I think there's a terrible danger that actors can become terribly entitled and. And uh, monstrous, and there's no reason or and believe need for that. too much in themselves. Well, quite, yes, yes, I quite agree. So that's we have conversations about that a lot. But he's good. He's 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 very aware, and he's a very respectful. Good man. Yeah. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray, and I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll presents the Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things, but not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. What if you could become stronger, more resilient, cure disease, and all you have to do is get naked in the cold? 
and breathe. You get into ice water, and instead of like freaking out, you relax. It's called the Wim Hof Method, and Gwyneth Paltrow and Justin Bieber love it. I do the ice plunge because it's good for your body. But there's also a dark side. How many people have died doing the Wim Hof Method? We can override even death! Listen on the podcast Infamous. That's Infamous, playing now. One of the things uh, that you did do, of course, very successfully with Michael was A Fine Romance on television, which was a huge hit. Was it when you when you started doing those very popular TV shows that you started, that you lost a sort of layer of anonymity, that the theatre allows you to keep? I suppose you become better known hmm. by people who don't like the theatre. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I suppose you go from you, you go from being in millions of people's living rooms from being, which is yes. a, you become public property. Perhaps. Yes, mm. that's very true. I remember once when we were doing a fine romance, I got a letter. Was that yes, Jean Pargeter? That was my name in it. I got a letter from an American lady saying, "Dear Gent, uh, watching the show, Jean Pargeter would have never had that quilt on her bed." <laughs> But she did. What does that mean? Yes, quite. I think she sent another. I think she sent us another one. It's so funny, isn't yes. it? Well, it's because you're in their sitting rooms, of course. Yes, quite. It's, it's, you know, it's a different thing from playing, you know. My Lord of Burgundy, it's not that part at all, is it? It's, it's not. You know, it's the O'Lionel part. O'Lionel. Why <laughs> would you like a gin and tonic? It's that kind of part. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> But, of course, you then become even more public property. In 1995, I think there's a picture of it on your wall behind you. In 1995, you become James Bond's boss. There she can is. Can you see that? I can, yes. Looking down on yourself there. It's a this, glorious photograph. This is the only wall in the whole of this house that can take that picture. That's why it's there. Right. Um, it was given to me on my last last day. Ah, Right. Was that a surprising um, phone call to get? Asked to was become it surprising. Come and run the Secret Service. I'll say. And I was very, very kind of nervous about it. And, and Mikey said, You've got to do it. You've got to do it. He said, I can say I'm living with a Bond woman. You've got to do it. <laughs> well, you did seven at, at Bond. Eight, I did. Do you did eight. Seven. I did half an hour on Spectre. Oh, well, that counts. Of course. I, I haven't seen Spectre, but they see, they see a little television thing of me saying something. Right, yes, yes. And so, eight. So that's more than any James Bond has ever managed, I think. Yes, we, I think Rod, Roger Moore was eight. Maybe was he, he did. eight or seven, I, mean, I don't know. Right, yeah. but you're, you're up there, certainly. Were you disappointed to be killed off? Would you have kept at that one? Um, I'm not sure. Hmm. I was more disappointed never being sent anywhere. Um, and, and we went to Stowe School on one of them and they... <laughs> I complained about always being in, in that office. I said, you all get to go everywhere. I didn't So they put me in a trailer on, on the side. It said Innsbruck. And they said to me, you can never complain again about never going anywhere glamorous. <laughs> I had a lovely time. Oh, they, they were lovely, all of them. Yes. And um, But then it was for Mrs Brown, which was a movie originally made for television, I believe. It was. Um, that ended up, you were playing Queen Victoria, and mm. it, it became a, a, a theatrical release, and you are summoned to the Oscars for the first time. Um, were you able to enjoy the carousel of all that? Oh yeah! Oh God, the makeup and the orange, fresh orange juice, and the makeup and the nails, right? And and a great big basket full of goodies in your room. Right. When Mags went, when Maggie Smith went, they gave yeah. her a massage chair. <laughs> <laughs> How would you get that? I don't think she did get it home. I didn't no. think she ever did. But, um, oh, you get very spoiled. Right. You get very, very spoiled. And I took Fint with me, and Antonia Bandaras asked Fint if she had a light on her, and she was Fint's absolute... <laughs> Oh. And this is a wonderful thing of Vince saying, of course I tried to hold it steady. Couldn't, couldn't even hide it. <laughs> it was lovely. Yeah. It was great. 
And since then, you've been nominated multiple times. You've been back at the ceremony. Does it feel like after all that time, you were suddenly let into a club? No. Each time different, each time, you know, uh, each time frightening. It's just chance that you're there. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's chance, yeah. David. Um, that's not any kind of false modesty in any way, but it's just, you know, it's just... Um, and you go and you're naturally nervous and uh, and it's not like anything here, really. Mm. And it, it doesn't... I mean, it's, it's quite a palaver. It is, and you keep seeing people who are your heroes and heroines. Right. You know, and you can't kind of get... Your, you can't go, oh, look, you can't do that. You right. Just say, oh, look, oh, how very nice. How do you do that? Right. And then you go... So who do you get? Who's who do you get starstruck to meet? Who were you gobsmacked oh, to meet? Meryl Streep, right? And um, I bet she thinks that about you. No, no, I don't think she thinks she that does. at all. No, uh, Robbie, Robin William. Oh. oh yes, yes. But I met him before at Billy's because Billy, Billy Connolly, of course. Yes, he yes. Had a, used to have a wonderful yearly party lasting about three days uh, at his at his uh, house up in Scotland and Robin Williams was always there. Right, right. Oh, I, nice bet man. I bet they're fun together. And Steve Martin and oh. Eric Idle, Eddie Izzard. Wow. Oh, God. Quite you a few laughs there. Mouth, of course, because, oh, it's wonderful. It's yeah. wonderful. So good. And then in 1998, of course, you you win the Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. By which time in your career, you've won pretty much every other acting prize going, multiple times often. Is an Oscar different? Um, further to go for it. Sure. <laughs> Worse every way. <laughs> further to go. And, um, yes, yeah, so people talk about the Oscars here, don't they? And... and and it's a kind of night put aside to watch the Oscars. And I suppose it, it's all frightening, I think. It's all mm. really frightening and anxious-making. And does it change anything, winning an Oscar? Does that alter the way you're, things you're asked to do, the way you're I don't regarded? Know. I don't know. Right. But um, Mike and Fint were with me. And I was going to New York the next day to be in Amy's view. Okay. And so Mike and Fint brought the Oscar back and it went to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> went to the pub. What do you do with all your prizes? Where are they all? That's a good question. <laughs> Where are they all? Where are you all? <laughs> They're about the place. It's a lot They're of about, polishing, isn't it? They're about the place. That's a lot of buffing. I don't do the buffing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody actually came to see me not long ago who, who got one and who complained to Barbara, who comes on a Monday and a Wednesday and a Friday, that it looked very unpolished. <laughs> she said, oh, I'm, that hasn't been very well looked after. <laughs> Well, that's the way I like it. <laughs> so, do you feel do you feel now more like a film actor or more like a stage actor? Oh no, still? no, 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 David, I'll never be a film actor, never, never. Well, you, uh, no, I mean I'll by be, definition, you I'll are. I'll be in but... films, no. Right, okay. I'll be in films, but I'm a stage actor, and primarily, I'm a Shakespearean stage actor. Right. That's my idea of. Heaven. I assume, I, I assume you have no intention of retiring. No. Um, but does 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 how you approach your job changes as you get older? Well, it changes in the fact that it, you know you you're wor you're worried that the next job won't come up. Right. Um, you know, I don't. No, I don't want to. I don't want to. But my eyesight's so bad now that that's quite tricky. But I have ways of learning things. As long as, I, as, long as I've got enough time to prepare for it, mm -hmm. you know, I've got great friends right. who help and who will help me with lines and things. 
And, you know, if you're filming and somebody says, look out, there's a cable there, a cable there, a cable there, a very dark bit there, and then you're in the light. And then right. you kind of learn that, you know. Right. Do you allow yourself to feel proud of everything you've done? Do you, can you enjoy that? No. No? Because nearly always, in nearly every case, I think, oh, in retrospect, I always think that's what I should have done. Some things I've kind of... Well, like that first, for the first preview of Anthony and Cleopatra, the first preview mm. was as, we did it as well as we'd ever done it mm. at that first preview. But that, of course, never does, goes for the next night. You know? yes, yes. But on the very first preview, it went as well as it had ever gone. Mm. And I can remember that night more than any other night in the theatre, probably, just quietly afterwards, say, Peter saying, you know, well, now it it can go on from that. Mm. But that that very rarely happens, mm. doesn't it? Yes, it quite. Very, very rarely happens, however long you rehearse. That must have felt particularly vindicating because there'd been quite a lot... When, when, you, when it was said you were to play Cleopatra, quite a lot of people were rather laughed, snooty about laughed the idea. openly, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, they did. And how did that, did that make you feel intimidated or did that make you think, fuck you? That felt me a bit challenged, yes. Right, right. But you never yes. doubted you could. I did doubt, I, I, I certainly doubted I could. Right. But it's always, you know, the bigger the doubt, the more you go at it, the more you try. Um, Gregory Doran from the Royal Shakespeare Company told me a story where you and he recited the entire play of Midsummer Night's Dream together. Yes. You've got the whole thing in your head. I would have thought almost. Right. Between us, certainly. You're right. Well, I've done that play five times. So do lines stay with you? Yes. They do. But when Jeff, my brother, who was only ever... He's the person who stayed at Stratford longest of any, any actor who's ever done. Right. Um, and when he was little... Well, well, he can't have been that little. But he, um, he, he used to... Um, he used to suddenly launch into Shakespeare for anyone, anyone who was about. And he used to do, uh, for once upon a raw and gusty day, the troubled tiger chafing with her shawl, Caesar said to me, Dare Stacassius now leap in with me into his angry flood and swim to yonder point. Upon the word, accoutred as I was, I plunged in and bade him follow. So indeed he did. The torrent roared and we did buffet it with lusty sinews, throwing it aside and stemming it with hearts of controversy. But ere we could arrive, the point proposed, Caesar cried, Help me, Cassius, or I sink. And I, as Aeneas, our great ancestor, did with the flames of Troy upon his shoulders, the old Anchises bear, so from the waves of Tiber did I the tired Caesar, and this man is now become a god, and Cassius is a wretched creature that must bend his body if Caesar carelessly but not on him. Now, How I, have glorious. I have known that since I was eight, I think. Right. I've never been I've never been in Julius Caesar. Right. And I kind of want to be so that I could join in in that pit. <laughs> Jeff used to do it. It was wonderful. So those are the plays that stay with you most, are they? I don't remember any lines from anything else. Interesting. So, but it's Shakespeare that just yes. accompanies you through life. Yes. Well, because, mm -hmm. you know, it's why he's the genius he is. There's always something, always something you can think of at an appropriate time that fits the bill so brilliantly. Mm. I've been trying to learn the sonnets, but there are a lot of them. Yes, there are. But, my God, how beautiful they are. Do you ever have days, though, when you sort of think when you're all dressed up as a, I don't know, a duchess or a, or the head of MI5, do you ever have moments, because I do, where you, every now and again, even though you love your job and you're very committed to it, you go, you it's, think, all a, it's all a bit silly. silly. Yes, yes. Do you? Oh, I'm glad you said that. When's your birthday? April. Oh, April. 18th of April, yes. Why, when's yours? December. Right. Um, but it's a December trait, too, that... Oh, is it? What am I doing? But, Dave, I remember at Strat... No, at Nottingham, when I was at Nottingham playing St Joan, I can remember standing dressed in that knitted chainmail <laughs> and look, standing at the window, looking out, waiting for my call and seeing somebody going along with a pram and a whole lot of bags and 
and weighed down with things and, and me thinking, what am I doing? Right. Yes. What am I doing? In knitted chainmail. <laughs> and there's that person out there living life. Yes. Does it all feel like an escape from Maybe real life? Maybe we should all have huge stones that we should get, get in under. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure I face up to things. Oh, sure. I hope so. Mm. Well, it may be silly sometimes, but we're all thrilled by everything you've we've ever seen you in, and that you do it all with <laughs> laughter and kindness. Is I think. Those are the two words I think you've mentioned most and I think it's very telling and I think it's a tribute to your work and who you are. So thank you very much for spending this time with us today. Oh, David, I've enjoyed it so much. It's been so lovely. I want to now talk to you. Sure, we'll do that when we stop. We will, we will. (laughs) Thank you, Judy. Thanks so much. Next time. A little too eager? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other cast members would sort of describe him watching the monitors while, you know, myself or my sister were acting and kind of mouthing the lines. Oh, nice. Like some kind of stage parent or like dance (laughs) mom or something. And in the times where I, you know, I had to be kind of in the intimate moments with my my boyfriend on the show, I, I did often sort of ask the PA, like, can you just make sure my dad, we don't, he doesn't need to watch me kiss my boyfriend a hundred times today. He can go off and do something else. David Tennant does a podcast with is a something else and no mystery production produced by Zoe Edwards. Additional production from Harriet Wells, Sarah Camlet, Steve Ackerman and Georgia Tennant. The sound engineer was Josh Gibbs. The executive producer is Chris Skinner. <laughs>